Welcome everybody to another edition of the Intelligence Podcast. I am David Marber of Change the Padres, joined by Padres Jagoff. Marber, has your heart rate come down from the most exciting week in Padres history since to the Preller's Winter 2014? It's not only gone down, but like it, it has continued to sink, like physically. It's it's now somewhere located in the lower part of my body. Because I am so like we all, we all know that the off season is the Padres World Series, right? <laughs> like this is the best. This is the this is as good as it gets. And then just to be crushed so early. Usually we don't get crushed until after the winter meetings when we acquire a utility shortstop in Jared Weaver. Yeah, I mean I don't know if it's our World Series. We talked about this before because we never do anything big or rarely do anything big. But uh, yeah, I would say March is more like our World Series. It's like all right, we didn't get anyone, but it's spring training. We're technically not eliminated yet. But yeah, it oh, was, you mean you mean the uh, yeah Mar- you're right March March is a good World Series because that's when the fluff pieces come out from Padres.com and, and the UT everyone's and zero and zero the, uh, everyone's in the best shape of their lives. <laughs> yeah. Will Myers is showing a lot of athleticism out there in the outfield. He's he's looking really great, really picking up on the route. I think Amarista could play short all year. Well, Bill Center built that story up for years. That's true. That's true. Not a fair example. Yeah. But now we're all in a, a pretty fair state of depression, I would say. I mean, like, we would all be better off if Cashman had just said nothing, right? Yeah, I mean— be- so, Because it was all Cashman that got our, our hopes up. Yeah, I mean, we had talked last podcast about how there was no chance we were going to get Otani and that all the signals pointed towards, and I think we predicted Seattle ultimately and San Francisco. Those were the two that we, that we named. We might have actually named Anaheim on the podcast as well. I'm not—I don't recall, but— we were both but very. I, cer- I ended up drinking the cooler. Oh yeah, for sure. And it really was the fact that they were a final seven team. There was that Yahoo article that had them as the leftmost team in that preview. You know, as like a finalist. And then it came out that yeah, Cashman said that if you were a small market team on the West Coast, you'd be pretty happy right now. And of course, he ends up in Anaheim, which is very which is kind of a small market. No, no. Yeah. Their television rights include Los Angeles, so it's not Ugh, and Tem- and Temecula, which the Padres don't don't really get. Yeah. So, I mean, from a logistical perspective, it's basically the biggest market besides possibly New York in my opinion. So, yeah, I, I was duped by that. I was also duped by um some people that I was texting that are actually in the industry who were giving me a little bit of a uh, Hope, or at least, you know, they're giving me their honest assessment that people in the baseball industry thought it was going to be the Padres. And then, so obviously when you get that, you know, I, I still had the back of my mind, no, it's the Padres. We'll bungle this somehow. Like, we're not actually going to get this unicorn player. There's no way that would ever happen. Um, what a dickhead that Jeff Passan is for getting your, your hopes up. No, no, he wasn't even one of the ones. I mean, he, 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 I texted him and he responded and he was like, yeah, they're, you know, I can't get any info on it. I, I mean, can you reveal who the source is that uh, said, "If I knew, I wouldn't tell you." <laughs> no, no, but Do that was great. T- at least a clue. Yeah, that 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 person works for the Padres. Do they sell tickets? Uh, they do not sell tickets. Okay. Well, I mean, as far as I know, they don't sell tickets. Does his name rhyme with Dwayne Cartello? <laughs> it does not rhyme with Dwayne Cartello. I actually sent him a message, but he didn't respond. Ah, that's too bad. Yeah, neither did Mike D. too busy planning some great marketing events for this year. (laughs) Yeah. I actually asked him if uh, he had any of the mid-inning anime shots for Otani figured out yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, let's dig into Otani. The one thing that I realized through the whole thing is that 
literally no one knew anything about anything and everyone was either lying or guessing did, yeah, did you I find mean, that as well? Well, yeah, obviously, because he went somewhere that no one really had him pegged to be going, and for reasons that no one seemed to understand, right? Like, it seems like, at least based on the agent's statement, was that Otani chose Anaheim because he was most comfortable with the general manager there, which is... But but also uh, marketing opportunities, right? Yeah, I guess, but it... But, but wait, I thought he didn't care about money. Yeah, I, it's... Yeah, uh, ultimately, no one knew anything, and if you had just gone based on, I, I think everyone out kind of outsmarted themselves a little bit on it, right? Because when we logically talked about it, we said, okay, the places he can go that have the most money are the teams that d- didn't spend the most international, so that would have eliminated the Padres, that would have kept Anaheim and Seattle and Texas, and we said a place that he could DH, so he could play every day, and so if you just went on those basic original facts that you thought through logistically you would have been very close but then you started we started weighing things that we thought had value that probably didn't have any value at all the fact that his old trainer is just now working for the Padres we can talk about that in a little bit or Nomo and all these other things and oh he wants a small market and we just got duped and like strung along and it's it's fine you know the the thing is for me it was we lost out, and it sucks, and it sucks for a number of reasons that we'll get into. But one of the good things was the number or the amount of excitement in Padres land was not paralleled for a long time. I would say it was even more exciting than 2005 or uh, 2015 because some people like then, yourself included, you were excited, but you didn't think it was a great idea, right? So I knew I had an idea in the back of my head how it was going to end. Well, it's not even in the back of your head. You said it on the podcast multiple times. Right. So. It's one of those things where Otani was so – he was a unicorn, you know, and everyone changing their names on Twitter. I I think it speaks to the amount of excitement we haven't had in a long time and the fact that if they got a super big-time player – and it, there's actually no guarantee that Otani will be a super big-time player, right? It's not like he's produced for six years in the majors like Machado or Harper when they hit free agency next year. Like if they got a player of that magnitude, I think – I really think the player would be worth it for the Padres. And that's just based on very surface surface observations from the amount of excitement for that, you know, three days that we thought maybe we were getting this Japanese phenom. Right. So some of the highlights for me were uh, at one point we thought the Padres were scheduled for their own day as the yeah. last interview. <laughs> and. And we all built that up as being, uh, you know, the people that close a negotiation, they usually have. The last one to present, usually it sticks in their mind, right? And then they did go last, but it ended up being the day before. But what I like particularly about this is that Dennis Lynn, the night before, literally wrote a full article that I want to say was pub- was actually published in the next morning's UT about how the team had not met with Otani yet and would meet the next day, which was clearly fed to him by someone or he guessed, right? And so, and then, and then with his tail between his legs the next day, then announced, uh, they actually met last night and they had dinner or whatever. And like, I thought that was the perfect encapsulation of how little anyone knows and I don't think – I mean, Lynn's not a liar. I just think he's being fed either bad information or whatever, and, and it was deliberate or 
who knows? But I just thought that was such a good example of how nobody knows anything and they're just guessing. And we, the fans, know just as much as any of the big national writers or local writers on the issue. Yeah. And, and, and that, go, that goes down to all the other aspects, like how, you know, a lot of people jumped on the Padres bandwagon where, you know, I think Fangraphs wrote. Dave, did Dave Cameron write something that said the Padres were the favorite? Yahoo said the Padres were the favorite. Like it started creating this narrative that they just made sense. And the most interesting thing about that is how fans convinced themselves that, uh, you know, two-way player got thrown around an awful lot. And a lot of people assumed that Otani would be fine playing the outfield. Or or even the idea that someone who has not played the—and this is the the basis of it. Otani has played, like, eight games in the outfield in the last, I think, five seasons. Uh, He has not played the outfield the last four seasons. He's been exclusively a DH and a pitcher. And the thing with Otani is if he wanted to play outfield, he probably could have played outfield. He's a star. And so at some point he decided that that doesn't fit in with his pitching regimen or he's not good enough at it or or what. And then add to that the idea that after taking four to five years off playing you know, high-level outfield, that you could just step in on the major league level and just learn it again or, or just do it. Um, and I think fans and the media built up this idea that two-way player meant playing the field when all of the data supporting that idea is non-existent like there's no track record of him wanting to do that there was no statement that he ever wanted to but we were so thirsty that we we ate it up we like like it doesn't make sense and i think we said on the podcast that it scares me to death the idea of your ace pitcher uh two days after a start going out to right field and on a cold night throwing a laser to home plate after not throwing for 15 minutes. Like, that scares me to death. Yeah, no, I, and, I agree with that. And it doesn't but, make sense from a baseball standpoint. And, you know, well, like I don't Aaron think Smith the, I don't, John Smoltz on, and he talked about his normal, you know, regimen when he pitched. And it's really hard to imagine you squeezing in, you know, you know, a pitcher's, you know, they're watching video, they're watching tape of batters, they've got plans for their next start, they've got bullpen sessions, they've got stretching, lifting, all of that. And then you add in... The idea that to be a hitter on an everyday level, you also need to be watching tape for a different discipline. You need to be practicing in the cages and, and all of that, taking outfield. And that, you know, it just didn't, it doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense then, but we we wanted it so badly that we came up with a reason why it would work. Yeah, but I'm not even sure the DH makes sense for him because, look, he's he. there's no guarantee he's going to be a good hitter. I mean, his numbers are pretty good and you know, in Japan, but they don't translate into superstar hitter and to play designated hitter. Obviously the, the break even points a lot higher than say shortstop or right field or center field. If Otani could play center field, I thought the best, the most logical place where he'd have the most value was just as a starting pitcher in the national league, where his bat as a pitcher is a tremendous advantage against his opponent, right? The fact that the other team has to bat a pitcher that likely isn't a good hitter. And you would just treat him that way. And that the value of his bat alone over 35 starts is more than a win above replacement. As a designated hitter, playing you know a DH maybe two times between starts, I'm not sure over the course of the year if he will be a, a, a win above replacement designated hitter. So right. I, I, I don't know if the choice he made is ultimately the one that makes him the most valuable to the team he's joining. But if you're an AL team and you can dangle out the fact that, yeah, you can play DH because... Right now, our DH is sub-replacement level Albert Pujols, and so we can see for the next year if it works. 
I get that, but I, I just don't know if long term it was actually the best landing spot for him. Well, I mean, that was my secret hope that AJ could somehow convince him that the whole two way thing is is dumb. You know, you're splitting your attention, you're splitting your practice. Like, it's not a guarantee he'll step in and succeed right away at the major leagues, anyways. Like, I was just listening to Kyle Glazer on the EVT podcast who wrote something on Friday about how. He has a lot of work to do. Like he's not at the level of Tanaka or or other Japanese pitchers, Darvish, that came over and succeeded right away. Like he's got control issues. He can lose. He can walk four or five guys in a row. Like he's he's not a perfect pitcher. He's not he's not necessarily an ace off the bat. And I think Glazer said maybe year three, year four is when you could really see him being an ace level pitcher. Um, and so the assumption that he could just split his attention and his practice and just he's already major league caliber i think was a leap in logic from a lot of people as far as the dh goes i mean seattle had nelson cruz who was one of the better dhs last year the angels have a terrible decrepit albert pujols at dh so in that respect the angels make a lot more sense on paper um have they said what they're doing with pujols like are they just going to release him i i don't know i honestly i'm i'm I got so uh, depressed sad. after, yeah, just sad and depressed about it that um, I I haven't paid attention to it. I know he had a press conference. I know there's been a lot of podcasts from 1090 about how it went down. The only thing I've looked at since is just the uh, the statements that have come out from Seidler and Preller, and that's it. How they how they really tried. Yeah, I mean, so by the way, before we move on to that, um, we should have known. We should have known when there was the uh, – was it a Jesse Agler tweet? Someone had a tweet about how um, they thought some of the finalists might just be out of respect, right? Do you remember yes, that? Do you remember true. that? Yes. That should yep. have been the telltale that, look, if any team is here out of respect, it's got to be the one that has all the people that he knows historically, right? Like that would be the the most obvious tell. Um, um Another part that we forgot about, I'm just going down the list of everything that happened because it was so there was so much there were so many plot twists and turns. Was uh, the Buster Olney article about how the East Coast teams will want a full investigation if you signed anywhere that was suspicious? Like, right? Clearly saying like, oh, you can't a good player can't possibly sign with a bad team or like a poor team. Like that would clearly hint that there was some uh, something astray here. How could you want to play for the Padres instead of the Red Sox or Yankees? We have to investigate this. As if every qualifying offer that's ever been offered has been completely clean and not contingent on the agent speaking to other teams and understanding that if they opt out or decline the qualifying offer, they'll, they'll get more money. You know, like, right. like when, yeah. But anyways, there was a lot that happened. Um, Siler's statement afterwards was interesting to me. Uh, I, I got three points out of it. One. And this is something that I heard from a number of sources that the Padres definitely thought they were getting Otani. Maybe not with certainty, but I think they thought that they were favorites. And I'm not saying that in a way that, like, oh, they went into the meeting thinking we got a shot, we got a puncher's chance. Like, I legitimately think that they thought they were the favorites to get him. I also think that they did hire Nomo and Saito and the trainer and others partially for this reason. Now, I'm not going to say that's why they were signed, but I think. The fact that they were cited as a possible advantage leads me to believe that part of the thought process for getting these people into the Potters organization was to help in these sort of signings. And the third thing was, at the very end, he said, we'll sign more than our fair share of free agents. More than our fair share, right? So 
to me, that's more than than average, and that's something that I want to sort of continue to reiterate that they've said. Um, I'll say this about the Nomo trainer thing, yeah. though. Um, I think you'd gone on Twitter and said you thought – you used the word botched. I don't think you meant it the way that I take it, but I actually think I, – I don't know why you, they would back away from that idea. Like, I think it's ingenious that if, if that was the plan – to, to carry these guys who who probably don't make that much money, like maybe combined, what do you think, half a million dollars a year? It's not even the amount of money they Hold make. Hold on it's, to them a, co- yeah. a couple years, you know? No, no, like I'm that's not. That's a great investment. Oh, 100%. And, if, it, if, it, if it tilts the odds of signing any of these Japanese players by even 5%, you know, over the course of a decade, whatever amount of work they're doing for your organization, it's probably really not all that important when you consider the replacement for them, right? If you didn't get Nomo, for example... And you got you know John Smith off the street to do Nomo's role right now. How right. much how much of a difference in on field value would you actually see? Probably right. nothing. But if you can increase your odds of signing one of these guys a little bit by doing that, I totally agree. That absolutely for, for instance, is like, that absolutely is a reason to bring them into the org. I'm just saying, and I'm not trying to be cynical about their like why they brought them in. I'm just saying based on the the fact that they were cited by Seidler as like a reason that he thought that they were going to come here. Oh, yeah. T- tells us that that was the plan. Right, exactly. And, and, and I think also, it's not a bad I congratulate plan. Them. I congratulate him for it. Yeah, that's a great... You know, if the pod, if what Agler said is true, that, we, that you know, some teams got a meeting with Otani out of just for respect, uh, if the Padres had no chance... Let's say they were going into the, the interviews as the seven seed in Otani's eyes. Just getting the presentation in front of his eyes is worth the money. Um, just the minute chance that that presentation sways him is worth a million dollars, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Even if they fired Nomo and Saito and whoever else today. Yeah, I mean, anytime you get a meeting with, I mean, this this goes in business in general. If you get a meeting with a client, you cannot go in there assuming it's closed. Like a lot of times, especially if you're like the Potters were last, you have an opportunity to present a piece of information they haven't heard yet. And that might make them reconsider everything else they've heard. That might cause them to doubt something else they've heard in the past. So even if you have no chance going in there, you might end up changing the entire process of the negotiation just by having your opinion be expressed, right? It's the whole reason why, you know, it's some organizations, when you have a big meeting, they purposely assign someone to play devil's advocate, right? So that you at least hear, you hear that. And sometimes you'll end up siding with it, even if, the, the original reason the person was making the argument was just to satisfy a meeting requirement of having a devil's advocate. So just to get in the room for respect, I, I definitely agree it's not a terrible strategy. But ultimately, I, sure, I think some people when they hear the word botch, they think that they think that they royally bungled it, right? That there was like it was a sure thing they were going to go there and they screwed up. And I can see how right. some people would express it that way. The way I'm like looking pod, at it is like they like they padres did, right? Like the, usually. the way I'm looking at it is is fairly sim- straightforward. This was a unicorn free agent. The unicorn free agent, not just in terms of talent, age, and money, which are like the three most important things of a free agent. He also expressed the fact that he wanted to play on the West Coast. It came out that he uh, didn't necessarily care about playing for a big market, although that was proven not really true. Um, I think when you have that those prerequisites and on, on a player that – Anything other than getting the result you desire has to be looked at as a mammoth failure. And I know that means that there are 29 failures and only one success, or in this case, really 
six or five failures because there were so many or so few candidates to begin with and only one success. But I think at some point you have to define things based on a, a very result-driven metric. And so to have this once-in-a-lifetime, literally what's so frustrating is – so now we'll talk about Eric Hosmer, right? And we'll talk about free agents and how Padres fans don't want to sign any free agents unless they are – going to be for a three-year deal at under market and you know they're in their prime you know like impossible contracts that don't exist but when you have a, an actual unicorn example of maybe that type of free agent and you don't get him i think you have to look at that as a complete mammoth failure you can't look at that as a oh we were second place and you know we'll do better next time there is no other next time unicorn like that or if there is he's 15 years out you know so yeah i, I guess i agree with your general sentiment i, I do think there's not any, I don't think there's anything else the Padres could have done. Like, they started out behind the eight ball. We convinced ourselves that he didn't care at all about money. Um, I think in the end that was at least partially proven untrue in that he signed but, based on marketing opportunities. But, but hold on, hold also on. Clear, but, also, clearly at some point his, his representation told offerers to make a final and best offer, you know, best and final offer, which included more money, which the Angels did do. Like, they upped it to, what, like $3 million to—, to $3 million, right? Right. So two things here. First of all, I just want to point out the Padres general managers, A.J. Preller, and not Billy Epler, even though they interviewed both of them. And Otani chose based on the general manager. So to say that the Padres couldn't possibly have gotten him, now granted, obviously Preller was hired years ago, I think that's – I think you, you're kind of forgetting the fact that Epler was second place in our general manager voting. So had we chosen him, right. maybe but we would have gotten that's- him. But the other thing— That was years ago, and it's impossible to, sure. to really project the Otani, how Sh- the Otani stuff. Sure. The other thing is the played. Padres could have actually traded for all of the international cap space, and then not—obviously, they couldn't use it. I know you I know you said that, but— But they could that have. Would require, that would require the Padres to know the parties that were speaking, the terms that were being offered. And, like, it wouldn't have mattered. So, so you block it, right? So then everyone's on an even playing field. I mean, sorry, Seattle and, and Anaheim are on even playing fields then. In fact, all that does is is raise the specter of Texas, I guess, if he really did care about money. Like, blocking that, that spending doesn't strategically accomplish anything for the Padres. It might— Because the Padres are no, still it, it only offering $300,000. Right, right, but— and, and the thing that frustrates me with Padres' Twitter is everyone's like, well, I mean, who cares about the extra $2 million? And, like, none of us have a million dollars in the bank, I, I don't think, except maybe Billy Liebarger. Like a uh, million dollars is a lot of money, and two million dollars is a lot of money. And rich people don't get rich by just burning money. And I get it; Otani is sacrificing a lot of money, um, but it also doesn't mean he doesn't care about money, especially when he's represented by a U.S. agent whose earnings are entirely based off of his clients' earnings. And so, I, I just—that's actually I, I, just I think the biggest. Was, I think actually that's probably the best point. That's been made. Well, and an, and an agent's job is to maximize his client's returns. So right. Of course, you know, if I was running a competition with seven bidders, I would put out a best and final offer and say, "Look, guys, you can't make the position better, but you can definitely make the money offer better." Like, like that's that's upping your own earnings as well as your client's earnings. Like, there's a lot of motivation along the way to maximize earnings. Right. I'm just saying. My my whole point here is that it's not. I'm not saying the Padres could have gotten Otani. I'm not saying and, that. And like it. last AJ's podcast, a, we said AJ's it was zero percent, right? You know, mushmouth AJ in, in a presentation. I, I can't imagine it going super, right? No, Compared but to smooth talking Billy Epler. No, just my point is that I I can logically come up with ways that may have 
made it closer, right? If the Padres were doing everything right, they could to get Otani, I mean, you're still behind the eight ball. I like, don't disagree. Play, I'm just he's saying he's got to play outfield. He's got to play outfield, or he's giving up at bats, right? That's one issue. You know, not enough money from the Padres. Uh, marketing opportunity. Like, have you seen this city? Like, I, I know we laugh about some of it, but like, like who who are the endorsements that players get here? Uh, Akinori Atsuka did 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 Boot World. And, like that's and, what Ryan Clark. And Corky's Boot. This is Boot World, a, <laughs> a, a local control. chain of boot stores. <laughs> that's that's what San Diego is. Boot World and and K, and uh, Collins Family Jewelers. Like 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 other cities blow us away. Um, I don't even know. I don't even like that's not even a uh, that's not even I don't know how you even present that. I know. I, I'm pretty sure the Yankees are sponsored by China, actually. Like, uh, yeah, I've, like I've watched some Yankees Nationals games and seen Bank of China real... commercials. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, Bryce Harper in, in in DC, which is a you know a fairly big market, is has the largest endorsement deal ever from Under Armour. Like, I don't know how Boot World here in San Diego and Collins Family Jewelers competes with that, and. and and to I know the the narrative will continue to be, well you know they tried they really tried we a we don't know they were in second place because because that's has not been said um, the Mariners also said quote they felt that they were left at the altar so we don't really know where we are in in the rack and stack of, of offerers but the idea that hey they tried and they got close like at some point I th- this is why I said I agree with your general sentiment in that Padres fans need to. Be a little more results oriented sometimes, and I agree. There's probably very little they could have done to sway the competition, but but, but I can name enough, some enough, things enough though, being, right? Like, being, I, like like I'm saying, like leaving that, yeah, allowing inching, for some shitty prospects to be traded for the money that might have made the difference. I think that's something that I, that I think that's something I can point. No, but it narrows the gap between the teams potentially, right? I if guess, if any maybe, team, if, look, if the difference I, I, is you make a big de- you make a big deal out of it, but I, I think it's infinitesimal the effect that. I'm not arguing it has a huge effect. I'm just saying that it may have had an effect, and it was a move they could have made. It's not that they didn't leave everything on the table. And from a Padres standpoint, if you really want to get into it, that helps the Rangers more than the Padres. I don't disagree with that, but I think it helps the Padres. I I guess I, like I, I would really question what they'd have to give up. Like, well, they didn't th- give up. Think nothing. of it this way too: they it's not they, they got they, yeah, they but, gave up organizational top ten prospects. Sure, but think of it this way as well: the Padres could have done this, right? They would have had. I mean, there are, there are still a couple other teams out there with and extra you would cash. Been, you would have been fine with trading Logan Allen for a million dollars that that the Padres literally can't use. That's see, that's the other part of it. It's still fungible. They can still turn around after that and trade it to a team pursuing the Braves' prospects, right? Like you just need to hold on to it for a certain half amount of, of time. Been, half of them have been signed already, and and not for that much money, other than Mayton. Like, uh, a like, couple I, of them. I, I was here. I was here that. I was here that. There's been six or seven that have been signed already out of twelve. And I, I keep hearing like oh, you know they can just roll it over on on Braves' prospects, but the expensive ones are already signed. Like you don't need you don't need the extra money to sign them. So it's just like we create these narratives in our head and we convinced our – and that's really why it hurts so much because we created all these narratives to 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 make the Padres into a favorite. And did we create it though? I, I don't think we so created crushing. it. I think – We all – we all did. The media did it. We did it. We all we – were, we're thirsty. We're the guy in the bar that's desperate, that's, that's on a, a three-year drought that, that's just so desperate and everyone can smell it on him. Yeah. Like – the opposite of confident, and, and and it came out in in how we described it. Like it would be like, hey, Otani can go to 
uh, he can go to Seattle and he'll just be in Ichiro's uh, shadow. But if he comes to San Diego, he's he's the man. He's the savior. Like he's the one that's gonna gonna make us not be the the laughing stock of Major League Baseball like we always are. And like it's it's the same thing. It's so thirsty. Like everyone can can smell it sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and the 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 funny part is we don't know if we were second or twenty ninth. We we know we weren't thirtieth because the Orioles literally didn't try, but we were somewhere between second and twenty ninth. Yeah, and it, let's say we're third. You know, do I feel better about that? I don't. No, I, I think a lot of people are convincing themselves like, hey, yeah, you know, this isn't the Padres of old, and, and this is a good segue into into uh, Hosmer the winter meetings and yeah. free agents, but. I mean, I've been vocal in that I think the Padres use, quote, being involved with uh, blank, you know, high-dollar free agent as a marketing strategy. Um, I don't yeah, think I don't that necessarily. was Otani. I think they tried, you know, why? the thing with Otani is, like, why wouldn't you try? There's nothing to lose. I, I think they insert themselves into a lot of names to create fan interest, like, based off their success in 2014, 2015, 2014, 2015, and... Um, so that's why I, I'm a little, I'm a little bit uh, doubtful of just how serious they are. And, and if we look at guys like James Shields, it's not like the Padres led the market for that. They waited until like March when nobody else had signed him, and then signed him to a discount deal. Yeah. And, and so it's hard for me to envision Eric Hosmer, who's ranked as the number one free agent this year, that that they are serious offerers for him or they're willing to go 7150 or 8160 170 for him. Um so so that's why you know we're going to talk about Eric Hosmer but which I'm very much against which I know you aren't but No no I'm I'm, I'm not, not for it. I'm also I'm, I'm not, not for it. I just don't think it's the worst thing they could do. Like I think it's a bad use of resources. But I'm, I, I'm just not super convinced it's a realistic discussion. That's fair. I mean, I'm. You're not going to find someone who's more skeptic on their free agent possibilities than me. Um, or you're very unlikely to find a, a Padres fan who's less less bullish on the Padres signing any player at any given point in time. I've been on the record as saying I think our starting shortstop next year will be like Adam Rosales or some other Jose sh- Rondon. Yeah, I mean, I'm fine with Jose Rondon. I think that actually can make some sense. But um, I'm not fine from a watching so, perspective. But yeah. But anyways, let's dig into Hosmer. Um, and let me preface this by saying I don't think he sucks I think he's fine he's not a superstar he's okay um, I guess my problem with Eric Hosmer is the uh, kind of the square peg into a round hole issue with it where the team only a year ago uh, anointed Will Myers as the franchise cornerstone at first base and I don't have the quotes in front of me. I think we talked about it on the last podcast maybe, but um, he was literally quoted as saying he is unable to focus while in the outfield because there are two, two, uh, big, two big of gaps between action. And he also said that that directly affected his offensive performance. And so he also said he'd never been happier than he was at first base, and it was the position that he felt like he was made to be. It was the first time he'd ever felt comfortable in a defensive position, keeping in mind that he has played full seasons in in, in the corner outfield positions. And so my problem is, is partially that Hosmer is going to cost way too much versus what he adds to the team, and also that you're taking supposedly the franchise cornerstone and you're sticking him in a position that he 
both says affects his performance and doesn't like. And I get that he says he's willing to do it, but being willing and being capable are, are different disciplines. Okay, so a couple of things. One, I, I think, and I've stated this last podcast, I think doing things because Will Myers wants it to be done, a, a good yet maybe not even better than average first baseman, uh, I, I think that's a generally bad strategy. Like I don't think you. I should, agree. Uh, you don't want the prisoners in the prison, right? right? And but he's you also not want to maximize their performance I, at wherever you place them. I don't disagree with that, but I I don't necessarily think he's actually best suited at first. I, I guess at least I don't think he's a Where good enough defender. Is he suited? He's a, he's a designated he hitter. <laughs> right. Yes, he, that's I, that's my opinion of him right now. But I think he's I think he's got enough athleticism that I I will be fine watching him play a month in left field. Like I'm not gonna die by watching him play left field. I, I think it's, it's a, it's the most logical if you're not gonna have him at first. What if what he says is true that it affects his offense? Well, then he's not a player that you're gonna be building around anyways, and it doesn't but matter. We already did. We already signed him. We're already building around. Him. See, that's that's part of what I'm. That's part of the reason why I'm actually okay with Hosmer or Carlos Santana. And I, I agree with you. I don't think in terms of dollars per win above replacement, he's a great investment. But I do think. First and foremost, Hosmer is a better player than Myers right now. We know that based on his performance last year. We know that based on his average career performance, even including the bad years. We know that based on his projection for next year. Those they all point towards Hosmer. Right. Age, I agree. Age wise, I, I, they're only separated by one year. And I actually I think agree. Hosmer agree, has slightly although, more upside because his plate discipline's better. And I think that's something that's much harder to learn. Whereas if he just changes the launch angle. And if we're gonna if we're gonna be the people that are gonna stick by Ryan Schimpf for changing his launch angle, and if we're the type of people that are gonna say, "Oh, Hunter Renfro might improve," or blah blah blah, then we have to also do this for the free agents that ha- can come in. Has he ever indicated a willingness to change his launch angle? Because the only thing I've seen on record is an interview with Eno Saris, where he he literally said that he will not change his launch angle because his swing has got him where he's at, and that was before he was signing a nine figure contract based off of his level to 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 down swinging swing yeah i don't know all and, i'm and saying we is that think he's gonna jump there. in with a first year hitting coach and be like you know what i did to earn this 150 million dollar contract totally wrong i'm gonna do i'm gonna do something different yeah. drastically change my swing well and this is also why i'm still saying that i don't think the signing makes sense but i can see look here's how but, I, but here's how i generally people are building around here, is that here's a, he will change his swing and discover his power here's a very easy way to view contract signings and this is actually going to be in my next post yes i am writing if you placed every free agent on a two-dimensional uh, graph where your x-axis is how big of an improvement they are and on the y-axis it is how useful they will be when we're good again you can imagine that the players to the right and the top are the guys that are very good and are young right you have otani there because they're good and they're going to be good when we're good again you have a line that that's drawn from the yes to the other yes that separates the good signings from the bad signings. Guys that are either really good but won't be good when you're good again, they don't make any sense. Or guys that are bad and uh, they might be useful when we're good again, but they're not really an improvement. They're also bad signings, right? So Hosmer is very close to this line. I think he's below the line. I don't think he's I don't think he's a big enough improvement that he's going to stay good when we're good. That is my main issue with him. I think he's an improvement, well, and I think there's a chance. Away. I think there's a chance he's good. He's good when we're good again, and you know, and I think that would be an improvement over Will Myers, and that's why I I don't have to squint that hard to see a scenario where Hosmer signing works out. The other part of it is that what are the alternatives? 
Like what? Like what is the other alternative for Hosmer? I think, you know, you, at some point you have to be realistic about your options in free agency. And so if we're going to actually be able to add a player in free agency, if that's in the budget, then who do we add? Because if you look at the next offseason, look, I love Machado. I have a garden gnome of him outside that's five inches covered in snow right now. But I don't think it's a realistic signing. I don't think Bryce Harper's a realistic signing. Even though I think those guys would actually be worth the money for us, I really do. I don't see the I don't see a really decent chance even of one percent that that happens. So on both sides, on both convincing sides, convincing them to play here and in poning up the money. Yeah. So then the next question is but, then who but, do you spend the money on? There's no one. There's no one in free agency next year in the top thirty. And I've looked at this pretty extensively. That's under thirty. And now I know Hosmer's twenty eight now, but next offseason he'd still be the third youngest guy. Not na- he'd be the youngest not named Harper or Machado. So if you're looking ahead and you're saying, all right, we might even have money then, what would you rather have? Would you rather have Hosmer now with a year of performance that you don't know because you don't know how he's going to do in 2018 and then sign him for a year less than you would have to sign an equivalent player next offseason because it's not like, for example, if, if there was a Hosmer clone available next offseason, right, you'd still have to sign him to a, an extra year on that deal. So... The fact that you're paying him in a year that it doesn't really matter what you do with that money is actually good. You just don't know if he's going to actually be good next year. So I, I think when you're comparing it in terms of what might actually – what are the alternatives and alternative ways to improve your roster going forward, I think he actually makes a little bit more sense because he is only 28. The player in front of him is Will Myers, who's a very questionable talent to me at least. There's no guarantee that he's going to be good when we're good. He might be. In fact, he might be a star. That's totally a possible outcome for Myers as well. But I think Hosmer is a slight improvement, and I think the odds of him being good are higher. So those two things work in his favor. Also, I think Myers is really movable. The next two years of his contract are incredibly cheap. So there, And even after that, I don't think he's necessarily um, a bad contract. You, so I think you, you can actually Uncle get Ron something for been, him. As being willing to trade him after, after backing him so publicly? I don't think it matters to him. I mean, he. I, I remember very vividly being the first person in the row when Ron Fowler and James Shields were sitting on the stage behind the Petco Park scoreboard talking about signing James Shields at whatever, what was that, Padres Fan Fest that year. I remember very distinctly being right there, and they were buddy-buddy, and he was gone by the middle of the year. So I don't think that's and, – so, and the thing is I don't think that's in AJ's blood either, and I know we talked about that, and I know that AJ gave Myers the extension, and it's on him, but – I don't think that's the way he operates. And so if you can actually get a pretty decent prospect for Myers, which I think you can, while moving to Hosmer, I do think that's a net win. I don't think it's the best win of the best use of resources again, but I still think it's a slight possible improvement. So, I've got 7 minutes. Let's zoom through this. Sure. Uh, the thing the thing with Hosmer also is that there are um, alternatives on the market. You mentioned him, Carlos Santana, who I think you've gone out on Twitter as saying you're positive in, in you know, you're pro signing him. Um, yeah, because he's cheap. I, I think he's relatively cheap. He's and cheaper. He's equally as capable. And you and really more than the total dollar amount for me, it's the length of the contract that matters to me. Um, he'll sign for three or four years. Like I, I, it was reported today that the Indians, as a way to retain him, offered him three years, thirty-six million dollars. He's going to get more than that, but I don't know how many more years he's going to get. Right, and I think Maybe his skill four. set is something that. Um, we are sorely lacking up and down our system. Just someone right. with incredible play discipline. And I know you're not pro Cozart. No, I'm very pro Cozart. Um, but real quick, on that, my chart, on my chart that I'm talking about, 
he might be the biggest single improvement they can get at a position this offseason. I agree with that. Who, Our shortstop Santana sucks. or Cozart? Cozart. Cozart, yeah. Our shortstop sucks. He's probably going to be good this next year. And, but and, I think the odds of him fully, actually being good when we're good again are extremely low. I, I really I, think I they are. I don't think he's going to be good. I don't think he's going to be good then. I, I'm fully expecting him to decline in his third year drastically. Like maybe to the point that they, they release him. Then what's the point? Um, He's not going to get you anything in trade. I mean, that's that is literally the definition of wasteful spending. The point, the point is that Seidler has said very clearly that the team will compete in 2019. And if you look at the messaging that they're sending out this this off season, it's that they are searching to acquire the number one free agent on the market because and and Glazer actually said this on, on the EVT podcast in that their pursuit of Eric Hosmer he believes is driven by ownership and specifically Peter Seidler's insistence that they will be competing for a playoff in 2019. I'm just looking at what the team is saying. They're saying that they are going to make moves so that they so that their owner is not lying when he says that they will be competing for a playoff in 2019. And so I'm rel- I, I don't think that's the best course of action, but I'm willing to accept that ownership says they're doing it and they're following suit by making moves that would seem to support that they are actually trying to make the playoffs in 2019. Yeah, so if it was only for 2019, though, I don't think Kozart or Hosmer is the best guy. I would say it's probably you, Darvish, but I, that's an even worse signing. Well, he's going to sign for long term. Right. And, and no, so no, I'm not saying why, that. I'm just saying if, like that's the, if because, that is what they're targeting, they're, they are targeting the wrong person. And if they're targeting that, look, here's the thing. I have no faith in them spending the profits from this year and next year. Um, there's no, there's no chance that they're putting that in a savings account, and they will then raise payroll to a hundred to two hundred million dollars in 2020, uh, based off the profits that they bank. Yeah, and, and there's no way for them to spend it otherwise, right? That's what's so frustrating. They, they can't right. just. And, and this yeah. is this was the whole basis of my Louis my, Robert, my, Louis Bob, yeah, yeah, Louis Robert, yeah, Louis Bob uh, push is that you could see the tea, you could read the tea leaves. They're, they're, the free agency market was not great. Uh, the next year had a bunch of unrealistic options, and so now that money is going to go unspent. Um, you know, we can't undo that. So so the thing is, if Sidler really wants to compete in 2019, go ahead and spend the money that's not going to be spent anyways on Cozart because that limits the damage later on. I don't think it's a—let me make that clear. I don't think it's a good idea for them to pursue a 2019 playoff, you know, not even a playoff appearance, competing. And that's—the one thing I researched this week is is what exactly— quote, competing for a wild card consists of. And I saw people on Twitter, they'd say, you know, if, if in 2019 they're within five games of the wild card, I think that's a success. Oh, my God. Well, hey, newsflash, oh five games out of a God. wild card is like is like 80 and 82 <laughs> if you look at the record this year. Uh. That's not a victory. That's a losing record. And so if that's what we're going for, if that's the bar we're setting, um, fine. Then sign Cozart, pay him for three years for $40 million, he's going to suck in 2020. I'm willing to accept that. But if you're so desperate to compete in 2019, I'm trying to limit the damage elsewhere. That's fine. And if that is if that is because your reasoning is for it, mistake, if, if you're saying they should mistake. sign Cozart only to trick them from signing Hosmer or someone you might think damages is, them. Yes. Okay. He's that, the least bad. That is the best argument for I, signing Cozart yet. Is and that I'd it. be okay <laughs> with signing Cozart and Santana because both of those, if you release them in 2020 and you eat the money, it's not going to kill 2021, 2022, 2023 when a lot of these players are going to be. I think those guys will be worth five wins in in 2019. Yeah, potentially four, really four, four wins in maybe. 2019 you know, but, without killing the future, go that route, please. But Hosmer, you're signing him through 2025, and 
and you're going to be stuck with him when the team is actually ready to compete. You're going to be forcing at bats for him, like the, like the Angels are doing with Albert Pujols. Like, it's there's just not a, a good outcome from that. And so I'd rather limit the damage with three to four year contracts, satisfy Uncle Ron and Peter Seidler, give them their quote unquote competing for a playoff spot, and and still keep alive the plan in the future. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my just my whole thing with Hosmer is that I think people, fans in general, have swung. Okay, it's two twofold. One, fans have swung far too much against him. Like, yeah, he's not going to be a great dollar per war player. He also plays first base. There's a lot of reasons not to sign him. I get it. I think he's not a great use of resources. I don't know how many times I have to say that, but then also say, but he's not. It's not like um, it's not a disaster. Well, no, it's not like signing. You know, in, next in the next off season, it's not, it's not a disaster. It's, it, it's not the same as next off season spending 180 million dollars on Brian Dozier through his age 39 right. season. Like that's a different type of unmitigated disaster. This is just a player that's probably a bad bet, and it's a bet, right? He's 28. He's he is actually a good player. He makes your team better now. He probably will make your team better in 2019. But over time, you'll but, probably regret the contract. That is and some, there are better there are better options. And there are better options. No, well, that's the whole thing. I don't know how many better options there are for 2019 on this free agent market. We just said two. And for half the price of Hosmer. No, Darvish is not half the price. Not Darvish. Cozart, Santana. That's the plan. If you really want to compete in 2019 without killing the future, sign those two. Right, but I don't think I, – I, I think that Darvish and Hosmer will have higher wins above replacement in 2019 than Santana and Cozart. Like, sure. That's. I mean, that's. But but yeah, obviously. But I've got a double-headed objective in not killing 2022, 2023. That's sure. So the other part, by the way, so I I mentioned the one, which is that you shouldn't just because someone's a bad signing doesn't make them the worst move you can make, or doesn't make it the dumbest fucking thing the Potters could do. Which, by the way, the dumbest thing they could do would, would be actually to listen to that guy's advice. But the second thing I wanted to point out with the Hosmer thing is like. There are still so many fans clinging to the um, spend for the sake of spending sort of mantra or right. very much against – or like you'll ask them like, all right, who should they sign to a free agent contract? And they're like, players who will not – like, you know, in their prime for, you know, not for eight years, not for the – it's like, dude, none of those players exist. You're, you're naming no one, right? Like, or that's why you should be so frustrated about Otani, but you're celebrating maybe second place. There's – an incredible double standard so i think signing hosmer and having it work would actually be very good for the fan base right and and i'm not saying that because obviously signing a good player and having him work would be good i'm saying there's a psychological aspect to it that i think would be very healthy for some of these fans yeah it would be fine unless he has another zero war year next year like we talked about it last last podcast but Fans hated five war Brian Giles. Yeah, but despised him. I know, and I, I it was a good point. Like, there would definitely be fans like that. But if you and make, if, and if but fans here's the thing: hate him, then Uncle Ron hates him also. Yeah, but here's and, the and thing: that's a serious problem. But here's the thing, Jagoff: if you do moves because of Joe Blowhard and Lakeside, in effect, you're making Joe Blowhard in, in Lakeside your general manager. Sure. Yes. Which is except, terrible. Except, except the equivalent of Joe Blow in Lakeside is literally the managing partner of the team. <laughs> yeah. Except dumber. Uh, yeah, that's pretty bad. Hey, one name we didn't name really quickly, Mike Moustakis. Make any sense to you at all? It makes more sense than Hosmer. Really? 
Oh, I can't I mean, stand Mustafa's game. At least he plays game. a position they need in the short. I, I don't know what kind of contract they're projecting for him. To be honest, like, are they talking six, seven years for him? I think he's going to be more like. I think four it, years. I think he'll be more like five, six in the range of eighty to one hundred. I mean, like I said, my objective is is to minimize. I, I don't think they should sign any of them. Really, if, if we're being serious, I don't think they should be stretching to to compete in twenty nineteen. Yeah, I, I think that's a stupid objective. I don't disagree with that's that. That's a Mike. That's a Mike D objective. I don't disagree with but, that, but I do think that long term, the only one of them that ready, can make I'm any ready sense for them to do it. Yeah, but I'm saying the long in the long term, the only one that could make any sense long term to me is Hosmer. That that is the only I one. Mean, I, I think it's a Moustakis, bad bet. Moustakis, Moustakis is only a year older, and he plays a, a position yeah, but he actually is, need. He's yeah, same as uh, he's same as Hosmer, off and on every other year. Do we need third base though? I mean, his skill set yes, I don't like. Yes, we need third base. His skill set I don't like we all need that third much. Base. They're talking about they played Spangenberg there last year. I don't. I don't. We have. We have they're going to start. Uh, what's his name? Carlos Villanueva there next year. You don't think you don't think on the on the upgrade graph in two dimensions that Mike Mustakis isn't an upgrade on that. No. So it's, but, but it's, the thing with Mustakis is he. he it, let's say he signs for four years. Again, we're managing. We're managing the damage. He's not needed. I wouldn't sign him if it was me. But if they're dead set on on blowing money so they can say they're doing something, uh, and, and supporting Peter Seidler's fantasy of a playoff competing quote competing for a playoff spot in 2019, uh, he's another example of someone where you're limiting the damage. And at least it's more productive. It's at a position that would be more productive potentially. So I guess we have competing interests here. You're going for limiting damage, and I'm going for what could possibly actually end up working. Right? They're like, not going to. Mi- What's the best case for 2019? Like, what are we talking? You think they're World Series ready in 2019? No, or you of think course they not. Might squeak, they might squeak into the second world wild card spot for a one-game play. Okay, so the best case scenario in 2019, let's, I mean, it, it all would have to start with Tatis, right? If he actually is a bona fide number one prospect. And comes five, up immediately. And, and comes up immediately. At a playoff slash World Series level. And... And Mackenzie Gore is a bona fide number one ace, and he comes up and he plays, and you know. Oh, you you, ha- you have him moving from rookie ball to the major leagues in in two years. Yeah, that's or, sorry, a year, really a year. That's how those. If you're talking 2019. They're not coming up in September. That's how those players end up doing it. I know, but that's how those types of prospects end up doing it. If they if they actually are that super ridiculously good, they pitching prospects do breeze through the minor leagues. Like Cole Hamels, for example. Uh, Clayton okay, Kershaw. So Those guys do come up very young and very early. So I think it's so you, actually you have these prospects making the the like three percentile outcome. Sure, but that's what we're, we're talking about. The competing in 2019. I'm saying right. if both of those things happen, right, which is low odds, but and, it's it's and not Ur- it's not out of the realm up. of possibility. And Urias comes up and is competing for a batting title immediately. That's tangential, and Sh- I don't. Should we throw that in also? <laughs> yeah, sure, sure, and uh, yeah. Um, and Austin Hedges uh, learns how to hit. Okay, now that that's absurd. Uh, like that's the thing. So so we're looking at three to let's say, let's generously say tenth percentile options uh, or, or outcomes, and we're making long term investments to to pursue a tenth percentile outcome. Like that's that's the thing. It, it, it's it's possible, sure, but it's not likely, and so. I, that's why I'm so desperate to to manage the damage here, right? Feather the egos of ownership while not tanking the 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 ultimate plan here. That's fair. So you're basically running under the assumption that they're going to sign someone, and you just hope it's someone that doesn't screw up the entire plan. 
Yes. That's fine. They may suck, I, I, you know, in year three or four, but but they'll get their little run at 2019. They can pat themselves on their back with Dan Cilio in the morning, and, and, then, um, and then we can move on and actually look to compete in the window that is realistic of 2021 maybe, you know. So I, I'm just trying not to kill the actual future. That's fine. And I can I can understand that. Viewpoint, I, I am a realist, but I'm a, I, I do see a scenario in which Hosmer is actually positively contributing towards the Padres in 2020, like in a way that we couldn't do without signing him specifically this offseason. Because I don't see another choice next offseason, right? And I don't see someone internally that's going to do that. So if you want, if you have sights of having a four plus win above replacement player at first base in 2020, I think this is the lone guy, even though it's a bad bet and probably a bad use of money. That's the way I'm looking at it. I think if you're trying to get the stars to align, you might as well try to get the stars to align. So, Right. I'll still but in any case... The, I'll still stick with Cozart and Santana being the optimal solution in my eyes, but... In any case, we didn't, we, didn't talk about, we didn't talk about Freddy Galvis. Oh, we um, don't need to. <laughs> I know, we I to. know. <laughs> we don't need to talk about Alcides Escobar. We don't need to talk about Julie's Chassin. How about this? It is the win- the week of winter meetings. If something comes up, let's ch- let's strive for an emergency podcast. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, but let's not do an emergency podcast for El Cities Escobar. Let me let me put that ground rule down. All right, here's the ground rule for a, an emergency podcast. It must be a multi year deal. And I'm, uh, three or more three years. plus years. That's fair. Deal. deal. I'm in. Okay. Deal. Um. Let's preview this. You will not be here for the holidays, correct? You will be in in, in America's tax-free haven, Delaware. <laughs> Mostly tax-free haven. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's actually still up in it's the on, air. It's I'll on probably, the side. You're I, home of tax-free shopping when you enter from Maryland. That's true. That's because Maryland is a totally different animal. But um, So you will not be here. But I will preview this, that I've been speaking with a semi-intelligence member who is a ghost uh the Chomner, uh, we may have a live podcast. Nice. You're gonna have uh, hacks off for that or what? Well, I don't think he's. Well, no, I don't think he's 21. But I would like to meet him at the semi-official brewery of of uh, the Quintelligence Podcast, the R- Ruler Brewing in Carlsbad. That's the official. Semi-official. What? When did that get decided? Well, ma- many of our uh, This Week in Padres, you know that long span of time where you wrote nothing and contributed nothing to the website? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that was you the time 20, when I was doing This Week in Padres. And, and 17. <laughs> and 17. Uh, that was when I would go to Ruler Brewing on a Sunday, midday, and I would write out This Week in Padres Twitter while drinking some of their delicious beer. So I was thinking of going there, meeting the Chomner. He's, I don't think he's 21. I think he's like 18, but... Uh, no one will be the wiser, and uh, we will uh, record a podcast. That sounds probably good. sans Marver. Uh, I, I think it'd be too complicated, but uh, that's a little tease for the future. I think that sounds good, and um, I think we will have an emergency emergency podcast. I think that will happen. I actually. think we'll have something. Our trade of Will Myers also qualifies. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Any any major, yeah. even Solarte trading Solarte would. I mean, actually, uh, you know, let's if not they, get crazy. Let's not get crazy. If they trade Jose Perella, I would do a podcast for it. I would care more about that. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, in, uh, until next time, Padres fans, fuck Otani. Oh, sorry. Go Padres. Go Padres.
Try to see.